Through the first half of 2020, the United States reported nearly 30,000 gun violence deaths. If you ask Rob Huberty, that number is 30,000 too many. As a former Navy SEAL turned entrepreneur, the rising levels of gun violence each year frustrates him. But now, as the chief operating officer for Zero Eyes, Rob is doing something about those numbers. Rob says, when you see something you think you need, you go create it. So he did. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Rob discusses how he's helping to prevent shootings at first sight rather than first shot. And he also details his journey from a Navy SEAL to the private sector and the challenges of running a business. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. This podcast is created by the team at mission.org. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, host of IT Visionaries. And today we have special guest, Rob, what's going on? Not too much. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, thanks for, for joining. We have a uh, really, really cool application of technology today and use of AI. We talk a lot about AI as kind of a business case, but what you all are doing is truly exceptional work. So we're going to get into everything about Zero Eyes and get into your background a little bit. So let's get started. You had a kind of non-traditional path. How did you get started in technology? I guess that I've always been interested in technology. I think you know, I'm 39 years old and you know that's somewhere bordering on millennial and that's somewhere bordering on not. I've heard it referred to as the Oregon Trail generation. And I think that's kind of interesting. If you grew up in a classroom and you played the game Oregon Trail, you know what that means. I grew up with technology my whole life. Oh, yeah. And I've just been interested in it. And, uh, you know, that's not what initially where I started in my life. But uh, I would say that I've always been, you know, the, the person who had the early adopter for everything. And I've always used technology to solve my problems as much as I could. I've, you know, whatever the platform is, the, the new thing, I wanted to know about it. And, uh, you know, I, eventually I went into the military. I went, went and got my MBA. And technology is where I wanted to go and what... I'm kind of passionate about, I guess. So did you cock the wagons and float across the river? Did you ask the guide for help? Like, what was your go-to there? I think that you always ford the river, of course. And uh, then you get dysentery at some point. I don't know. Yeah, no. I uh, So I don't think we ever actually got a high score. <laughs> but um, I used to play with my, my brother and my mom. And uh, when we'd get in like the top five, it was always uh, all 49er players because <laughs> I was a huge Jerry Rice fan. <laughs> and so it was like Jerry Rice was like number five and Steve Young is like number six or something. Yeah. So flash forward to today, you know, outside of uh, your Oregon Trail prowess, what does it mean to be COO of Zero Eyes? I think that it means to be, to wear as many hats as you possibly can wear. We've, you know, I've, I've helped design the product. I've helped our team I go do installations. I'm customer facing, a little bit of everything. And I think if you, on a sheet of paper, what, what does a COO do? And if you were to read that, it's not necessarily this because we're trying to build this company with everything that we possibly have. And you know, as we're growing, I'm starting to have to be the most concerned with the implementation and how we're going to actually physically do that. 
that's kind of always been my passion, the operation side and how you run a team and lead a team to accomplish an, an objective. And we're growing into that. I'm growing into the role that you would call COO, but I guess it's uh, at this point, it's just get things done, whatever the case may be. If I need to go sweep the halls, I'm the janitor that day. If I, if I need to, sometimes you need to convince customers and show what it is. And because I've helped build the product, I'm able to talk them through it and how we design it and the thought process behind it. So for those of our listeners who don't know, tell us a little bit about Zero Eyes. So we are a video analytics company and we have one goal. We want to prevent mass shootings. And in order to do it, we're going to use your existing camera infrastructure. We use artificial intelligence and we basically can see guns. That's the entire idea. We are going to stop a threat at first sight rather than first shot. It turns out in a lot of these mass shooting incidents that the shooter walks around with a gun exposed, fully exposed for many minutes before shots are fired. And it's really disheartening when you go look at Parkland, when you go look at Sandy Hook, when you look at Columbine, when you look at the shootings in the Virginia Beach courthouse, the Walmart in El Paso. And there's footage of these shooters carrying their guns, walking around, and no one watches these cameras. The entire idea is that Zero Eyes can be the software that watches them for you for guns. If a gun is in the frame of a camera, we would know immediately and we'd send an alert and we'd give that to first responders. And they would be there before a shot is ever fired. So you could do something with it. We would save minutes rather than seconds. And in those situations, we think we can save lives. And particularly in the case of school shootings, the most devastating ones where we lose our, our children to it, we want to give first responders an advantage. And that's what we see ourselves doing. We do weapon detection. and That's all we do. So obviously, we all know the scope of the problem. It's extremely serious. Any type of, uh, of shooting is you know, extremely difficult to understand, difficult to track, difficult to solve. Clearly, like enter technology, right? Like AI being able to see these images and do that. How did this kind of idea come about for you and your team to think of this, uh, this application of AI? So on particularly the AI side, I think that I was brought in a little bit later as an idea. Our CEO, Mike Leif, said, this is right after Parkland. He's like, I've seen all these computer vision technologies out there. And like, why can't we just detect guns to do something about this? They all walk around with the guns. Like, what do we know? And I didn't have an AI background. He didn't either. But we had met a bunch of people who did. And we're like, is this possible? And like, yeah, it's, it's certainly possible. You could do it really fast. But in order to be good at it, you have to, it's like painful. And with our military backgrounds, painful is okay. Like, hard work is no problem. We'll really diligently pursue this. And so the idea really came from that. And I think a lot of us in our lives have been touched by these things. For whatever reason, I've been around these things a lot in my life. To use technology and use the AI and computer vision, it became a little bit obvious. You know, you've seen these kind of things exist in movies. We assumed that it already existed, but it did not. So when you see something that you think that you need, you go create it. And so leveraging, you know, your military background, obviously, you know, I, as our listeners know, I was in the military. I think people are always constantly surprised by how ridiculously good and ridiculously bad uh, the technology of the military is. It's like we have certain things that are so cutting edge and then certain things that are extremely far behind. And it's like, if it's on the battlefield, it's going to be cutting edge. And if it's, uh, you know, in your employee productivity suite, it might not be, such as the way of the government. 
But do you think that, you know, like having access and like insight to like what is possible from a technology perspective allows you to kind of like reimagine what this would look like for the private sector? Absolutely. You know, I was in the SEAL teams and I got to see a lot of the coolest things that we possibly have and, and all the planes and all the assets. And sometimes as you, there's an odd dichotomy of what is good and what is bad at that level. And I was exposed to incredible things at the, at the very highest level. When you got into like military aircraft, I think it is shocking to see how little that the pilots fly with when I assumed that they were using the highest end technology. But I was still exposed to it. So it's, it's really neat to see like your night vision, how incredible it can be. And then the pilot is really just flying by sight. And it's odd that the military can be both of those at the same time, that my radio felt like a brick that was made in the 1990s and an iPhone, you know, like a revelation at the same time. And I, I think we were trying to figure out how do you use technology to make your job better? And that was always encouraged. And in the SEAL teams, you know, a lot, I think there's a, a perception that the military, you just follow rules all the time. And it is true, you do follow rules, but particularly in special operations, you have a bunch of people who are maybe a nice way of putting it is iconoclast. They don't like listening to rules and they want to figure out the absolute best way to do it. And coming from an innovative group, people who are always trying to get better, technology is a lot of the times the way that you can do it. You know, there's only so many ways to do the same thing again and again. And, you know, I think in the military, you know, we had, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And I think using technology, you're trying to cheat to get an advantage. Let's use, you know, drones to get better ideas of what's in front of us. Let's throw a camera into the room before we ever go in. Let's use every kind of combination of it. And where you're seeing the full spectrum that the US military has and what they can do. And then you come out of the military and you see what has been leveraged. You just see opportunity in front of you. And I, I think that a lot of people who come out have that ability and you just need to transition that. And how do we use that? And how do we think that way and innovative to solve the problems? I'd like to think that our company is doing that because we're so veteran-based and a lot of us come from special operations that we just we think differently. And in order to do that, in order to solve problems and use those technology and, and cheat to win, we're going to leverage it the best of our ability. Yeah, I love that. I uh, I always felt the same way, right? Is um, you know, the military you work within such you know strict confines, but the best innovation comes from like adding those constraints. You know, the the famous story of like the you know I think it's like a nineteen or twenty year old uh, like PFC or something like that uh, or specialist or something that a general saw that they were putting sandbags like all around the turrets of their gunners. And then was like, hey, why do you do that? It's like, well, yeah, we were sick of getting shot at. So we uh, put, you know, and then all of a sudden we have up armored turrets. Right. You know, it's just things like that where you, you see the innovation. I, you know, I think that to the zero eyes, to what you all are building there of, you know, figuring out a way that technology can more accurately assess, you know, shooters and, and things like that. It's obviously a much different scenario. You're talking about adopting this into, you know, whether it's, you know, schools and, you know, commercial real estate and, and all these different places that, that you all are, uh, are, are selling into and are, are working with, clearly the need is there. Is there hesitancy around like, can the technology actually do the work? Is it like, what's kind of the issue there? Because it seems like everybody would just be like, oh, this is great, you know? I think that people have never seen this before. And 
you know, as we're talking about tech here and the, when you say AI, a lot of people's eyes glaze over and they're like, oh, that's too complicated. We can't do that. And it's something new. So we have to get past that early adopter hurdle and, you know, whatever, cross the chasm, whatever you may call it, and convince people that this works. In order to do that, we do live demonstrations in front of people. And I think anybody who's very talented can make the complicated appear simple. And that's really what we're trying to do. We're using something, AI, we're using you know, different models of artificial intelligence, we're using algorithms, whatever you want to call it, neural nets. All of this is very complicated when you explain that to someone. But when you show what it does, that it's making one determination really efficiently, and that that's something that's going to improve your life in a way that is dramatic, and that could potentially avoid the, the most dramatic experience possible. You're going to be a believer, but to some extent, you have to see it. And that's, that's kind of the, the hurdle that we have to get over is that it's complicated. We're trying to sell to you know, really good people, people who really care, people who are doing security and try to keep us safe. And those are not the, necessarily the people who you know, know what you know, a convoluted neural network or wh- whatever it is that AI means to them and how complicated and overly complex it seems to them. We need to show them that it's simple and lead with that. The best tech is, is always simple. It's always easy to use. I want to get under the hood a little bit uh, into the complexity that went into to making this product. Obviously, as COO, you've been you know involved in that. How involved are you? How do you look at assembling the the tech team to create this product? So we were all in. So a lot of us came from backgrounds where we had you know we went and got our MBAs. So the CEO Mike Layef and myself, uh, we went and got our MBAs at Wharton, and you know we're smart enough, but we're a little bit because we're from the military, a little bit simplistic in approach. Uh, maybe I would like to use the word elegant, um, but a little bit knuckle-draggy in, in the same regard. We're going to A and B test everything that we do. And so we came up with an idea. We invited you know, some of our friends in who we think are really intelligent, some serial entrepreneurs, and we started you know, doing minimum viable product testing. And so we found one of the most difficult things in creating AI, at least from an object detection thing, is the data set that we use. And we had to create that data set ourselves. And literally, it started out in our CEO's basement. I mean, legitimately his basement. And we started walking around with guns and taking pictures of us with with guns to do this in order to detect guns. And then we realized that we had to use the same type of guns that we wanted to detect, the same type of cameras. And then we had to figure out what did and did not work. And this was just absolutely as painstakingly and detail-oriented as could possibly be. And it was, you know, people, let's, let's instead of calling us knuckle-draggers, saying that we had an elegant approach to A and B test what did and did not work. And we learned profound lessons that ne- you wouldn't necessarily learn if you were in a classroom or a PhD candidate or somewhere else. We had to make this work and we had to make it viable for us. And so we had to have people who could fit many different roles and were generalists rather than specialists, although people who could speak that language. And I'd like to think with our backgrounds from both the military, where we were problem solvers, and from MBA, you know, top MBA programs where you were problem solvers in different ways and at least had, you know, statistical analysis background and you know, at least a, a frame of reference of what other people were doing. You combine those two things together, someone who is analytical in approach, 
but also um, very problem solving and and is willing to take on any role. And you know, I'd like to think that that's an incredible basis for a team for a startup. People who are willing to do everything, who are very clever, who are very persistent, and uh, but still think in an operational way, like how are people actually going to use this? That's where we started, and we've just expanded upon that. So, you know, obviously you're still a small uh, startup, you know, comparatively, but these are hugely important problems. Great thing about technology is that it scales now that you have this solution. What's it like in the testing, in the things that you're doing? Uh, how is it working? I think that's the best part of it right now. It's absolutely working. Like when we go do it and we do demonstrations and we, we do live demonstrations all the time to prove it, and we can see that it works and we can show that it works. The difficulty for us right now is to cross that chasm and prove to other people that it works. We're starting to see that interest from customers and seeing how what it can do and to prove it. And it crossed thresholds that I've I've never crossed before. You know, being a, a startup founder, there are problems that I didn't know I had. I have to investigate, you know, how do customers look at that? I know how I do, but you know, what are the the ramifications when you put a system like this in? Who's gonna use it? Who's gonna get it? The difficulties that we're facing now is, you know, from big corporate entities when our initial customer base was schools. And what happens when you know, a different group of people, let's say commercial you know, retail industries decide that they want it, they view your problem very differently. Even though the solution is probably similar, like what are the legal ramifications are? And these are the new problems that we have to learn as we grow. And, and so in my role, initially, you know, start making a product, start building a team, and now you know, get caught up on how we're going to do this legally? How are we going to do this and, and, and scale? Where are we going to get our suppliers from? As we grow, those are kind of the challenges. How do we hire the right people who have a similar mindset who will be able to do this? Those are the challenges that we're facing now. And it's equal parts of the day. I want to jump up on top of my desk because I'm so excited about the opportunities. And meanwhile, I want to hide underneath my desk because it's so challenging. And there was something that I never saw coming. It is so funny, uh, those things about building a company that it's like every single time you're like, okay, things are going good. And then you get that one email from someone you've never heard in your entire life that emails you something weird. And you're like, wait, what? I didn't even know this is a problem that I could have had. It's, it's a bizarre experience. It is. It, every single time that you, you think that you've solved something that you know a little bit of the one step forward and two steps back... But at the end of the day, you look at the progress that you've made, and it's, uh, it's wild. And sometimes we read our old emails and what our old plans were, and we're very methodical in approach. And it's sometimes funny to read that there are problems that have been the same for the last two years, and then some of the things that we thought were problems were never problems, and then we had problems that we never saw coming. I think we've all watched enough uh, you know, either crime dramas or, uh, or TV, uh, TV shows or movies where there is something like this technology that exists, or there's nothing like this. And of course, the one camera that was supposed to be on that one street corner that was supposed to be active uh, wasn't working. It seems like obviously cameras being a huge part of deploying this. What is the technology level for like camera infrastructure in these different... Obviously, these organizations are going to be very different, but I'm curious, what does that look like? So I think you named it. It is so varying in terms of 
capabilities, age, sophistication, that it's it's almost baffling as, as I've done this for the last few years. I've seen the high highs, the low lows. And sometimes you assume that one location would have the absolute best that, that money can buy, and it absolutely doesn't. And then you'll see other locations that are like, this is, you know, the, this infrastructure is going to be really poor. And then that's the best that you see. What I will say is that no matter what, I think that the cameras in the United States are just getting better and better. And the cost is going down and everything is going to be, you know, for better or worse, you're going to be viewed almost everywhere you go and every room you go into. So no one can really look at that infrastructure or really do anything with it. People add cameras because it's cost effective and they think it makes them safer. But if it's just used as a forensic tool after the fact, I don't really see the value in it. It needs to be proactive. And that's why we created our technology. But no matter what, every single year that that, you know, the the compounded annual growth rate of the camera system and it just goes up and up and up. And the video analytics market's gonna follow as you have really high definition cameras that keep getting replaced and you have more coverage everywhere you go, you know, it's gonna be able to do a lot more. Yeah. So with the yeah, with the industry obviously trending that way. When someone is making this type of technology investment, like who are the folks that you're working with that like purchase these sort of things? Like, are they like CIOs or technology leaders? Are they a facilities manager? What is their level of like technology sophistication? I think initially when you go into something like that, the level of sophistication is really high. You are going to deal with CIOs, chief security officers, the decision makers. And to a large extent, they pursue these kind of technologies. They want to be the innovators. And that's how, you, that's how you cross the chasm, right? That's how you do your first sale. You get someone who is already an early adopter. You know, As I said, when I was growing up, I always bought the new thing. It's going to be those leaders, those thought leaders in those industries, and those people who really want to make their institution safer. And other people are going to follow. And the trick for us right now is early to impress those people. And to impress those people, there is no smoke and mirrors. You have to do it and you have to prove it to them. And if you do, they're going to be advocates for you. And that's really what we've been trying to be a force multiplier within ourselves is you show it to somebody who matters and then you make them a believer. And you have to do that. It's all in. Your whole team has to be committed every single time that you do these demonstrations and these presentations. And you have to be honest and you have to tell them you know, where your weaknesses lie and what you're good at and how you're getting better. And if you win those advocates, those you know, chief information officers, those chief security officers who are forward-leaning, who want the best, who are proud to show that they are the most sophisticated, that's, gonna, you know, that's the pebble that ripples out everywhere else. And that's really what we're trying to do, to get those influencers of everyone else. Because everybody's going to follow those people because they know who they are. And that's kind of been our approach initially, to win those kind of people over. So obviously, uh, you know... We have an extremely sophisticated uh, technology leader audience here on, on IT Visionaries, people who would be uh, early adopters to something like this. But I'm curious, like, so what, as they're making like this type of decision, obviously hard to say what's the business case here, because clearly we know that like lives are at stake, but at the same time, like things have to be budgeted. There has to be like an agenda of like when they're going to do this. You know, I'm sure it's every single person you talk to is like, we would love to have it. We just, you know, it's not now or uh, uh, it's not a no, it's a not yet. What would like a timeline to like implement something like this look like? 
I mean, the answer to any question like that is it depends. But uh, you know, unfortunately, when there are incidents in your establishment where you feel unsafe for whatever reason that is, this will go higher on the agenda list. And we've probably run into a handful of cases to where that is. And I think most of the time when we start a pilot, you know, that is, let's say, in a commercial space that's in maybe a retail space, we're going to go to the, the areas where you need to make sure that your clientele are the safest. And we're going to go to those difficult areas where they've run into problems, where the threat is real. It's not, hey, let's go in this total theoretical location and just see how it works. We're going to their, you know, their most difficult problems, their most difficult security problems. And you know, unfortunately, in the United States of America, that exists you know, in, a, in a variety of places. And uh, I was surprised to find out the frequency in which uh, weapons are pulled in areas that I didn't think. Because just because a weapon is pulled doesn't mean it is used. But the threat at that location, you won't make the news if you pull a gun and you know, no one is hurt. But at the same time, the chaos when it's pulled out will affect your business. And what we have found is the people who are making those decisions, they can't sit on their hands. They, there's, there's no excuse that, oh, I'm you know, doing my best here. Like Your best doesn't matter when lives are lost. So they need to be at that cutting edge. And you know, I don't know that we're taking... We're using those opportunities to prove our technology. Yeah, it, that makes sense. Um, I mean, clearly, there's an element to you know, accelerating this digital agenda, as we've been talking about, you know, obviously with, with COVID and, and everything that's been going on recently, I think people are just understanding more that having a strong technology stack that supports their employees' safety, that, that supports their customer safety and all that is critical. And physical safety is, is a huge part of that. You know, as with all these things, it, it depends on, you know, do you have a head of facilities? Do you have, you know, these sort of other people or is IT or technology the main stakeholder of this? But it's also got to be, you know, so different in terms of like that buying committee that you're talking to. Are there any like, you know, objections that you hear from the buying committee of, of why they can't do it like, you know, today versus, you know, in a year or whatever? Absolutely. I, I think that, that particularly on the security end, security is never going to make someone money. It's only going to be a cost. As much as we can, we try to... There's potential to where we could eliminate the need for as many personal security or something like that, to where it can be enticing because then it becomes cost-saving. But more than anything, we have to prove our value. And particularly in these instances of violence and gun violence, it's a little bit nuanced because it's, it's hard to value that in that exact manner. And to some degree, the anxiety that they have is you know, where that budget's going to be allocated from. And the anxiety is not from that theoretical thing, but the real thing. So for example, if you're running a warehouse and you know, for some reason you have to fire somebody, if you were afraid that they were going to have some retribution, that's going to become top of mind. And even though that security is going to be a cost to them that they know that they run into instances like that a lot of time when you have that insider threat you know like for example the virginia beach shooting in the courthouse where uh, you know an employee was let go and then came back after the fact when you've seen similar instances like that and the threats have been made and consistently you've seen those threats those are going to be the people who are going to be the early adopters who are going to pursue that because when someone asks the question, what should I do about this situation? 
I want to be part of that answer, a layered approach. Instead of sitting on our hands and be like, oh, it could just happen to anybody. I think when we show you the technology, it's compelling. And to cross that and to, to be able to show the value in that, I think it's easy if they're looking for it. If they're not, that budgetary thing becomes much more difficult. So to some extent, they have to face that problem and it has to feel real. So maybe some schools were like, ah, oh, it can't happen here. Maybe that's going to be a not now and that's going to be based on their budget. But budgetary things all of a sudden appear out of nowhere when they have problems directly in front of them. Any other things that you've uh, seen in terms of like, you know, use cases or, or implementations or returns that your customers seeing that has kind of like surprised you? I know obviously the use case is, is pretty straightforward in terms of, you know, what, what the end result is. But like you, as you'd kind of mentioned earlier that you had seen like there were some uh, potential use cases that were a little different than others. I think the thing that has surprised me the most is the number of times that guns are pulled in situations that I assumed that there weren't. And once we've done some of these implementations, you're like, you know, it doesn't make sense why you want this location. And then you see that they had five guns pulled in a week in like their parking lot. And then you see somebody who had, you know, even just in regular schools, I think that guns show up into schools because kids either forget about them and they bring them in and one gun is bad. And to understand the, the difficulty in US society, just because those events don't occur doesn't mean that like guns don't show up and that potential is really real. And when someone knows that and that threat ripples through a crowd and the anxiety that brings, that was one of the most surprising things that I go into because when we started doing some of our beta sites and we're just like, oh, it, it's so unlikely for anything to happen here that you know we're just every single time we want real detections, it's going to have to be us going in there. Like it's, it, we're, we're going to have to test it. And then we realized that like we were making that location feel safer and they're telling us stories about the events that have occurred. I've been shocked by that in, in terms of our implementation. That has been shocking to me. You know, now that you say that, that's a great point. I mean, I'm trying to like think back to just like my civilian life of how many times that something like that happened. And you're totally right that it's like you don't even ever think about, you know, those, you know, you always, you know, rush to obviously the, you know, the single shooter scenario, but it's like planning for all those things, it, you know, is a, is a massive improvement over, over nothing, specifically around like data capture and analysis. You know, I'd imagine that, you know, you're, you're only a, a handful of years in here or a couple of years in. As time goes on, you're going to have a ton of data and trends and analysis around these sort of things that will be extremely useful to be able to be predictive rather than responsive. Absolutely. And, and that's, it, you just named the name of the game in security. You need to prevent rather than, you know, limit after the fact. We can't just respond to everything. Responding is fine and we need that. But if that's your number one thing, you're completely missing the use of technology and what it is. And it's not, I mean, you're not going to get into somebody's mind and, and read what they're doing, but all of the data that you collect that you could predict things in the future and at least tap someone on the shoulder and be like, maybe you need to look here right now without you know, invading everybody's you know, liberties or whatever it may be. You, you don't have to do that. But if you provide the right data and you give the people looking that information beforehand, you know, it's very powerful. It's something that you could be, be in the right location at the right time. And that's, I mean, it's, it's difficult. You just need to be lucky. What if, you know, using these kind of predictive things, instead of lucky, you're good. And that's, that's what we're really looking for. 
making the world safe for Rob. I appreciate it. Um, and yeah, switching gears to just kind of the startup challenges, you'd mentioned a few earlier. Is there anything that you particularly just like building a company, especially building a technology company, uh, that you have found you know particularly like enjoyable or uh, or on the other side challenging? I think the challenge is the enjoyment. So to a large extent, the the journey and the process of it it couldn't be any more rewarding because those days when you get the wins, you really earned them. You know, you know, early in the company when we finally got the good detections that we're looking at, you know, you did that. That was because you recorded all the data. That's because you put it together in the right way. And that was because your team, you know, worked together on the weekends and things broke in front of you. And the highs of it are so much better than when you work for someone else. Going from, you know, very large organizations that I've, you know, been a part of, the military being a very large organization to schools, to different big companies that I've worked for. You know, that, that was rewarding in its own right. But having a mission-driven focus that I had in the military that I didn't in the corporate world, it's incredible. And when, when you're looking at the missing pieces in your team and you're like, you know what I need? I need someone who can do this. And you've found a like-minded person that you can bring into your team who buys into it, who buys into your mission, and will give them selflessly to achieve that result. That brings me back to that time of you know the brotherhood that I had in the SEAL teams and having people in the company all in the same path and building that culture that just achieves and is willing to go through the hard stuff and is willing to do it in a pragmatic fashion. I mean that's that's the joy of it. That is worth that's worth more than money. That is worth solving problems that you care to solve. Working for someone else is not really going to allow that for you. If you don't buy into it, and you know a lot of these big companies that are very interesting and 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 doing very innovative stuff, if it's not the mission that you have, that's difficult for me at least. And to get to build a team of that, it's absolutely incredible. And you know, the best thing that I can say is that when you find talent and you someone you've known your whole life, and you say they would fit great in this team, there's nothing better and exciting when you're like, hey, come join me. Like this is what we're doing, and we're trying to change the world. Do you want to change the world with me? The answer is absolutely, and that's that. That's the most rewarding thing: building a company in that and putting the right people in the right place. I mean, it's it's completely rewarding. Well, what's next for uh, for Zero Eyes? We're uh, we're excited to follow along here. I'm I'm curious, what do you have uh, in the, in the works? I think my goal right now, and our company's goal, we want to be on every camera in America. We want to prevent active shooter. Our, our mission as a company, if we can do that, and the, instead of the devastation that you do that and you, oh, again, I have to watch this again, this violence in the United States, this embarrassing thing. I want to catch somebody. I want to prevent it. And I want it to not be news. And I want to know that internally within our team. I want somebody to walk out in handcuffs instead of having to watch something on the news and, and hear a new you know, name of a town, of a place that you'll never forget that goes on the long list. And in order to do that, we need to be ubiquitous and we need to grow as a company to do that. We need to be on each and every camera. And once we do this, we could start adding more features and more, more opportunity and build more of a base security. Like That's coming. But I want to be not the jack of all trades. I want to be the master of one. And I want to prevent mass shootings in the United States. I want to make people actually safer. And I want to prevent this. Instead of turning on and seeing the horrible things on the news, I want them to, you know, you watch talking heads instead of the devastation and have helicopters and 
a 24-hour news media cycle. That's our goal. Couldn't agree more. I, uh, I, I wish you all nothing but the best. But before you get out of here, we got to get into our lightning round questions. These questions are fast and easy. Just like the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience, you can go to salesforce.com slash platform. Check them out. We love Salesforce. Been with us the whole journey on IT Visionaries. They're the best. Salesforce.com slash platform. Rob, lightning round questions. Are you ready? Yes. Number one, have you picked up a hobby or habit in shelter in place? I just spend time with my kids and that's, that's pretty much it. I guess I have three little girls and I guess the, the habit is just uh, trying to exercise with them climbing all over me. So that, that if you're trying to do push-ups on the floor in your house and you've got a baby crawling underneath you and girls who climb on your shoulders, I don't know if that's so much as a hobby as that is a, a new lifestyle. What about a, uh, a book or a podcast or TV show you've been binging? You know, I, I had never really read business books before, and now I read every business book that I can in the meanwhile. And uh, I try not to binge TV, but I do like one episode of TV with my wife a night. And I just watched the TV show Atlanta. I've been very impressed with that show. Oh my goodness. It's so good. <laughs> the second season blew my mind. It was... It, Totally unexpected. I didn't read anything about it. I, uh, the guy Donald Glover, who does that, is every episode was like a, it was a horror movie. Then it was like a Hitchcock novel. Then I don't know. It was incredible. It's incredible stuff. Perfect storytelling. Okay, what about if you weren't doing this? And you've had a couple of careers at this point. So, but if you weren't doing this, what do you think you'd be doing? You know, I want to help people. I always wanted to be a fireman. And I think that that would be pretty cool to be a fireman, to help people part of the time. I think those guys, uh, they get to lead a pretty decent lifestyle at the same time. And you can pursue a lot of different things, how their schedule is. It'd be pretty cool to be a fireman. Best advice for a first-time COO? I think you have to be okay failing a lot. And you can't be embarrassed. You don't want analysis by paralysis or however you would say that. You have to be okay making a really poor decision because worse than that is making no decision. So be prepared to fail and be okay when you do fail because you can fix things later and you can break things often and you can still make it work. The problem is if you just sit on your hands the whole time and don't make a decision, that's a bigger problem. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Can I sign the contract? We're all looking for that. <laughs> How do I pay you money right now? We are all looking for that. That is for sure. Rob, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for joining. Uh, any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Obviously, everybody check out zeroeyes.com if you want to learn more. Now, check us out. And you know, if, if you like what you hear about, please introduce us to those who can help us or those who we can help rather. So if your school, you think that there's a great use case to us, please let them know this is a new technology that I think people need to learn about so that we can make our school and our world safer from gun violence. Awesome. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.